Let me invite you to turn to your Bibles in the uh, letter of First John, First John chapter five. We will be considering verse thirteen, but uh, we will read from verse one to thirteen just to get the context. First John chapter five, verse one to thirteen. I read, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you. We have sung of how your word is life for those who are dying. Oh Lord, we pray that you would give us this life as we look at your word. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to know you. We pray, O oh Heavenly Father, that your spirit would work in our hearts so that none of the truths of your word would come back to you void. We pray that you would save the law. We pray, O oh Heavenly Father, that you would strengthen the weak. Our prayer, O oh Lord, is that you would warn those who are careless. Our prayer, O oh Lord, is that you would guide us all to know you and Jesus Christ, your Son. O oh Lord, be with us and bless us as we examine your word this day. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I don't know whether you've ever been in a situation where you are awaiting a message. You are awaiting a message as if your life 
depends on it. Maybe you've traveled travel to a town that you do not know, and uh, the person you are visiting or your contact person in that town tells you, when you arrive at the bus station, I will send you a message. You don't know anybody there, you don't know the place at all, and all you will probably be doing is looking at your phone, isn't it? And you will be refreshing your phone over and over again to make sure that the message you're going to receive from this person to instruct you, to give you directions, comes. And you will even try as much as possible not to be distracted, isn't it? Let me even say, you will not even play the games you play using your phone because you want to preserve the charge so that just in case this person sends the message, it doesn't come in and then the phone switches off, isn't it? Because that would be a nightmare for you. You will do anything and everything to prepare yourself for that message. Or perhaps you're waiting for, uh, you had sent your CV, you had gone for an interview, for a job, and uh, they tell you, we will send you an email maybe next week or uh, on Tuesday, this coming week, we will send you an email. You will be glued to that screen. And any message, any notification that comes to your phone, you will be doing what? Checking and seeing, hey, is it the company finally responding to me? You will be on edge. You will ensure that you are not distracted. Or let me even give, you, give another example. Let's say I promised, you know, I'll help you with, uh, you had a certain need and I tell you, okay, uh, you need school fees or you need to pay rent, I'll, I'll, I'll send the money to you uh, on Tuesday morning or afternoon. And let me tell you, any message that comes to your phone, you will be doing what? You'll be checking it. And you will be praying that Safaricom doesn't send you those uh, messages that sometimes are annoying, isn't it? Because you're wondering, you're distracting me from the real message that I'm expecting from this person. The message I am awaiting has a meaning, a real meaning in my life. Well, dear brethren, I want to bring to you the truth and the reality that the message from God's word, God's word as we have it written out in the Bible, it's a message that we cannot ignore, that we must do anything and everything to ensure that we are not distracted from it, that our energies are not drawn from it by other things so that we miss out on the truth that are contained in the scriptures. That the word of God is so powerful. It is so important to us that we need to be those who wait for it, to read it, to take in and to grasp every truth that is in it because this is our very life. I don't know whether you've ever considered that, that the word of God, you know, all these other messages, if you're called 
for an interview. The job will come and will go even. You'll get hired, you may get fired, or you will retire, or you'll move on. If it's the money that is coming to M-Pesa, it will come in, you will finish it, and guess what? You'll move on with life, and you'll uh, move on to something else. But the word of God, this word, which we are told it is eternal. Not one iota will be deleted from the scripture. This word is the very bread that we need to live our life. But you might say, well, pastor, why is it? Well, I understand why I need, I need that M-Pesa message. I need to pay my, my, my school fees. I need to pay the rent. Understand why I need that email from that company. They respond to my this job request. But why should I value the word of God? Why should I value the message that is here? Well, I'm here this morning to show you why we, you, must receive the scripture. Why you must prepare yourself every Lord's Day, every morning, and not just in the morning, even in the afternoon to receive God's word. As we have the evening service, as we have the morning service, as we meet together within the week, we need to prepare ourselves to receive God's word, the truth from the scriptures. We need to be those who, whether it's in the morning when we wake up or at lunchtime or in the evening, whatever time you have set for yourself, we need to open up the word of God and read it in our own personal devotion. For those who have family, we need to receive the word of God as a family during our family devotion. But in case you may be asking that question, why must I receive? I want this morning to give you three things that I hope will help us to know why the Bible is important, to know why the scriptures are important as we look at John's letter and as we look at his statement in verse 13. So first of all, I want us to see that the reason why we need to receive the word of God is because of who has written it to us. Who has written the Bible for us? Well, I want us to see this morning that firstly, the word of God has been given to us. God has given us his word through his ambassadors or through his appointed messengers. Many times people look at the Bible and they say, well, the, the Bible is written by men. They read the Bible and they see Malachi, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and they say, well, and these are the words of men. They read the letter of 1 John and they say, but pastor, isn't 1 John written by a man? Why is it so important? Well, it is important because it is not just written by men, but it is written by men who are the ambassadors of God, the ambassadors of Christ. 
John says in his beginning statement here in verse 13, I write this thing. John says that he is the one who has written this letter. It is common that for us to better understand a letter, we need to understand the author. The author of a letter is key for us to understanding the importance of a message in that letter. If a letter is written, uh, if you work at a certain place and the letter is written by the CEO, because the CEO has written, it has more weight, isn't it? But here we have a letter that is written by a person who is an apostle of Christ. This letter, particularly, and we shall see how it applies to the whole Bible, this letter is written by John. And one of the truths that we need to appreciate is that John occupied, and John still occupies, a vital role in the life of the church. He held an office that, that is unique in redemptive history, which only a few had the privilege of holding. And that was the office of a, an apostle. And that's why we say Apostle Paul and Apostle John and Apostle Peter. The word apostle is the word ambassador in Greek. One who has been sent out by a king. One who has been appointed by a king and sent out by a king to communicate his message. So whenever we look at the words of the Bible and we, we look at who has written and we say, well, these are the words of men. They are men who have been sent by God himself, empowered by God himself, given a message by God himself, the king of the universe. You know, if right now you receive, if Kenya receives a letter from the ambassador of the U.S., we don't simply handle it as the letter from the ambassador, isn't it? We say that, this letter is from the U.S. government. If the Kenyan ambassador writes a letter to a, the country where he's representing, he's not writing on his own authority. The ambassadors are trained never to write anything under their own authority. They write what they have received from their king or from their president or from their principal in that country. And they simply communicate it. So John, when he says, I write these things to you, you are actually receiving a letter from Christ himself. It's no longer the words of John. John is simply a go-between from Christ to you. 
So John is a very important person. The apostles, the prophets are very important. And by the way, I need to say this. That's why we do not have apostles anymore today. Let me say that again. That is the reason why we do not have apostles today. If anyone says that they are an apostle, any letter they write must be where? Must be included in the, in the Bible. If you call yourself an apostle, what you're saying is, we need to have revelation. Where does revelation end? We need to have your words recorded in Revelation ends at Revelation 22. We need to have Revelation 23. Those are the implications. That's why we do not have prophets today anymore. Because if you say that you're a prophet, you're doing what? You're saying that every word that you write and that you communicate needs to be done what? Included into the scriptures. Now, I want us to see again the uniqueness of this person, why they are an ambassador of Christ. We need to see that in all human history, there were only a few people who could call themselves apostles. For example, if you look at the qualifications of the apostles in Acts chapter 1 and verse 21 and 22, it states that they must have been people who, are, who uh, have been a member of the 12 disciples from the beginning of Christ's ministry and have been eyewitnesses of his resurrection. They must have been there. They must have seen the risen Christ. Now you might say, well, what about Paul? Well, we must realize that Paul saw the risen, risen Christ, isn't it? In, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 8, Paul includes himself because he says that Christ appeared to the 12, then he appeared to over 500 brothers. He actually says some of those 500 brothers are no longer alive. And he says, verse 8, last of all, as to one timely and timely born, he appeared also to, to me. You, did you hear what Paul said? That the last person who the risen Christ appeared to on earth is himself. So the only people in human history, if we put it that way, that were qualified to be apostles were the 12 or the 11, plus the 500 who saw Christ, plus Paul. But then we know that the 500, are they alive today really? They are all dead. So unless someone can prove that they are among those 500 people that saw the risen Christ, they are not qualified. Why? Because the apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church. They gave us the scriptures. They gave us God's word. They communicated to us God's word. They laid the foundation. Actually, in Ephesians chapter 2, we see that the apostles and the prophets are called the what? The foundation of the church. How many times do you, for those who have 
some of us you have built uh, buildings or you build a house for yourself. How many times did you lay a foundation? Once, isn't it? If you lay a different foundation, that's a totally different house. If today I decide, you know what, I will lay the foundation of KICC here in Donho. Someone will come and tell me, listen, the foundation of KICC has already been laid. It's already been built. The apostles and the prophets have already finished their work in the scriptures. That's why we must receive the Bible. It's unique. It's important because of those who wrote the word of God to us. So therefore, when John says, I have written these things to you, these things, which represents his whole letter from chapter 1 to chapter 5, the, the message is very clear that every letter, every word, every statement, every command, every concern, every rebuke, every promise that is written by John and by Paul and by James and by Peter has the authority of who? Christ the King. It is not for us to say, well, you know what? I will accept chapter 1. I think I like chapter 1 of 1 John. He really says some nice things. I really don't like some of the things he says in chapter 2. Therefore, you know what? I'll not accept chapter 2. You don't choose. When an, an ambassador gives a statement, you don't pick and choose what you want. You either receive it as it is or reject it, reject it as it is. You don't get to say, well, I don't like this wording. We are therefore bound by the words of the scripture. These are the representatives of Christ who gave to us the revelation that they received from our king. We are bound by them. We are bound to the words of the, uh, the prophets of the Old Testament. So that now the words of the apostles and the prophets are now the foundation of the church in which we build all other structures. Therefore, we must receive the word of God and we must receive it, dear brethren, in prayer, prayerfully. What? Some of the things that are good, let us receive them with joy. Some of the things that are hard, let us receive them with prayer. Some of the things that are piercing, let us receive them with meditation. But we must receive the word of God. We have no choice. We are bound to them. So again, when you see that, even when you see Paul says, I, Paul, write these things to you. Because there are people who say, well, what happens in a place like where Paul says, I say these things, not that I have received them from Christ, I 
I say these things, especially in 1 Corinthians 7, does it mean that, because there are people who say, well, these are the words of Paul, because he says he hasn't received them from Christ, therefore we, we reject them, no. He has apostolic authority. What he's saying is that these things I have not received from him directly, but by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I have received them, and I state them, and you are bound to them. A Christianity that picks and chooses what to obey in the Bible is not biblical Christianity. A Christianity that focuses on certain truths and rejects other truths in the Bible is not a Christianity that is known in the Bible. That's your own form of Christianity. So that's the first reason who it is given through. But secondly, if I have not convinced you with that, we need to see who are the recipients. We must receive the word of God because of who we are. We must receive the word of God because it is given to the believers in Christ. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. One of the things we know about letter writing is that in spite of the changes in how letters are written, uh, from the time we were writing it on paper to now we are living in the digital age where we are sending emails, one of the things that has not changed, even with the change of technology, is the fact that a letter always has the author and who? The recipient, isn't it? That has never changed. Even in an email, you still indicate who are the recipients. And it is important, therefore, that we look at who are the recipients of this letter. It will help us to understand and to respond to the message of the Bible appropriately, in a godly way, in the way that glorifies God. We are told here that those to whom this letter is written are you who believe in the name of the Son of God. It is important that the recipients are identified, since God's word must accomplish its purpose for those it is intended. God's word will have its effect on those to him, to whom he has sent it to. We see this in Isaiah 55 and verse 11. So my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing that for which I sent it. Do you hear that? God's word will accomplish its purpose 
And one of the reasons why it accomplishes its purpose is because it is directed to the right person. That's why you meet up with people who have read the Bible. I've, I've, I've met with Muslims who've read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And they have read the Bible through and through. But you wonder, why is it that the word of God has never had an impact on their hearts? Have you ever met such people? They've read the Bible. They can argue the Bible. They, they know every statement or most of the statements in the Bible. But it doesn't have an effect in their hearts. And it's not just those who are outside the church, but even some people who are inside the church. You wonder, why is it that the Bible doesn't have an effect on their heart? Would it be that they have not believed in the Son of God? We need to ask ourselves this tough question. By the way, if you read the letter of First John, John, John is very tough. John, First John is very tough with, with, uh, with us. John doesn't pull punches. If you see the way he talks about practice of sin, he just says anyone who continues practicing sin is of the devil. And you wonder, wow, John, can't you be a bit more? Today we would say John is not caring, isn't it? If John were our pastor, we would say that, isn't it? And that John is just so direct. I really don't like that. Pastor John, he's, he's too direct, he's too sharp. But we need that. We need John. We need someone who just cuts straight. If you continue practicing sin, you are of the devil. That's John, that's not me, by the way. Please don't leave here saying, that's John, it's in your Bible. He says that his words will have an impact on those who belong to God. She sees who they are, those who believe in the Son of God. Now, to believe isn't simply a term used to profess, because sometimes we, we, we sort of look at belief. Yes, sometimes it means to profess, but to believe is a reality, it's a truth that is far deeper. To believe in Christ is not just to profess Christ, it is to be possessed by Christ. Do you hear that? It's not simply to profess, it's to, it's to be possessed. Christ owns you. Christ controls you. Christ, in a sense, runs your life. You know, to believe in Christ is not to tell Jesus, you know, Jesus, I want you to fix my life, this side of my life, that side of my life, and I'm also thinking this side of my life needs you. But these other sides of my life, please do what? Don't touch them. Please, Jesus, don't touch my money. Don't touch my relationships. Don't touch what also. Don't touch my job. 
those of Jesus, I can handle them. You just save me, you give me eternal life, and we are good. That's not believing in Christ. That's at least, let me say this, that's not the Christ in the Bible. Could be Christ, but another Christ. The Christ of the Bible completely owns you. When he says you will not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, he means you will not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. When he says you pursue peace with all men, you pursue peace with all men. When he says that you shall leave all and follow me, you leave all and you follow him. You remember the, the rich young ruler who came? Christ? You know, I mean, that guy is, I mean, anyone going out in evangelism, you would want to meet with such a man, isn't it? He's the one who actually comes to you. And he says, ah, Jesus, I've obeyed. I mean, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus tells him, have you obeyed the laws? And he says, yes, from the time I was a child. And that's a good guy. That's someone, I mean, if you're going out on evangelism, you'd say, ah, this, this is a man I just need to pray with right now. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He tells him, okay, you want to follow me? You want to believe in me? Sell everything you have? Give to the poor? Come follow me. In other words, he is the one person in the Bible who had the opportunity to be among the disciples of Christ. Come follow me, Christ himself. How many people does Jesus tell, come follow me? It's only the 12th, isn't it? This guy was being given that privilege, come follow me. Just, just sell everything, give to the poor, come and follow me. What does the Bible tell us? Did he follow Jesus? He left there, sad, broken. And Jesus saw him walk away. And we don't know what happened to him. But he walked away from Christ. To believe is deep, dear brethren. Believing, as we see it from, or those who believe, as we see it from the letter of John in 1 John, is seen at least in three ways in his letter. Obedience to the commandments of God, separating ourselves from sin, and love for the saints. If you look at chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, you see that. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, uh, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever is born of him. So love for the saints. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Separation from the world. Love for the saints. Obedience to the word of God. Those who receive the word of God, those who must receive, the reason why we must receive the word of God is because we believe in him. We belong to him. We don't get to choose which message we receive, which message we shall not receive. The message is written to them because in believing, they belong to Christ, the Son of God. This is an important factor because it is only those who belong to Christ, who accept his word, and who receive it with the response that is required. In the Gospel of John, John 10, 27, there is this famous line that Christ says. Christ says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My sheep hear my voice. And they will follow me. They hear. They receive. In other words, they receive. And it doesn't end there. They obey. They respond to it in faith. They respond to it as the Holy Spirit enables them. This is one of the things that we see from this passage. No, dear brethren, we need to be careful. We need to be careful that we are not those who believe by our tongues. We say with our tongues, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great things for you? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? And we do this and that and the other in your name. And Christ will say, what? Depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. You never obeyed my command. The commandments were a burden to you. John actually says, for those who have believed in the Son, the commandments of God are not what? Not a burden. They are not burdensome. It's not a weight. It is something that the Holy Spirit enables them to do. They love the saints. It's not a burden for them to love the saints. It's hard, but it's not a burden. It is not something that irritates them. It is not something that they fight off. So we must receive, if you are in Christ, you are under obligation to receive his word. But then thirdly, the reason why we must receive the word of God is the benefits it has for us. It is given to assure us of eternal life in Christ. I write these things to you who believe 
in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have what? Eternal life. The letter of 1 John covers many themes and areas of the Christian faith and practice. We see that John covers vast areas of doctrine. If you read the, the, the 1 John, you will realize that John covers major doctrines. For example, he covers the nature of Christ. Covers the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of God. He covers love of the saints. He warns against false teachers. He calls people to love the saints. He calls believers to separate themselves from sin and from the world, and many other doctrines. But the statement of verse 13 shows the reason why he does all that. Why does John cover all those big doctrines. The reason why he does it is that all the themes and the teachings crystallize to do one function, which is to give confidence of eternal life to the saints. What we need to see is that from what John shows from this statement, it's very powerful, by the way. Please, Take more time to read what he's saying in 1 John 13. We don't have all the time to cover it, but let me cover a few things. That what John is showing from this statement is that the message of assurance, of Christian assurance, is a necessary part of our Christian faith. Some people think Christian assurance, the doctrine of assurance, is a fringe doctrine. No, John says, assurance that you have eternal life is actually a very important doctrine that needs to be taught and that needs to be believed. Don't look at it as something that is out there, an addition. No, no, no. You need to be assured. You need assurance if you have believed in the Son of God. So before we even say we need to be assured of eternal life, again, we need to ask ourselves, what is eternal life? I covered this in my last sermon, but let me touch on it again so that we do not have a misunderstanding. We need to understand that eternal life, as we saw last time, is not the quantity of life. Eternal life is not the length of life. Why? Because when the believer dies, they are not an annihilated. They are still there. But for the believer, they are where? They're in heaven. When the unbeliever dies, they are not annihilated. Where do they go? To judgment in hell, isn't it? And that's why you need to be very careful. Don't think of eternal life. It's simply that when I die, I will continue being conscious. Because even the wicked will continue being conscious for eternity, isn't it? But where they will be is the difference. 
So eternal life is not quantity, but it is quality of life. It must be remembered that what man lost in the garden is a relationship with God. Man was told, was cast out of the Garden of Eden. And God put two cherubs with fiery swords so that man cannot access God. So, it, um, whenever we talk about eternal life, we are talking about relationship with God. Now, let me prove this to you. If you look at John, the Gospel of John 17 and verse 3. John 17 and verse 3. Go and read it at your own time. This is what Christ says. And this is eternal life. Now listen to it carefully. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you see that? Jesus says that eternal life is to do what? Is to know him and to know God. In other words, is to have a relationship with him and have a relationship with God. That's eternal life. To have access to God is eternal life. To be called a child of God is eternal life. To have assurance that you will have eternity with God is eternal life. Because would heaven be heaven if God is not there? Would it be heaven? It wouldn't be heaven. That's why eternal life is a relationship. So when John speaks about assurance of eternal life, he's talking about assurance that you have a relationship with God. That that broken relationship, because sinners, do not have a relationship with God. The only relationship they have with God is that God is their judge. And that's why in Hebrews 9, um, is it Hebrews 9, 10? Or is it 13? So it says, it is appointed for man to die once, and after that, face judgment. So for the unbeliever, if you're listening to me, the relationship you have with God is, God is your judge. And he will not allow you into his heaven. Because you are a sinner. He has to cast you away from his presence. As fast Thessalonians says, away from his presence in the flames of hell. That's why you need, let me pause here and just say, that's why you need to flee to Christ. That's why you need to repent of your sins. That's why you need to believe in him. Not to simply profess, oh, Jesus is my savior and he has no impact in your life. You see your sinfulness. You see your need of him. You repent of your sins. You put your faith and your hope in him. In Christ, our relationship with God is fully restored. We are now taken from being under the wrath of God to now being the children of God. This is what John is saying. 
That's my purpose too. Assure you of that. The teaching of John in this passage is to see that Christian assurance comes and we see that it comes as a result of the teaching of the scriptures. Now please note that assurance is not something that comes from one doctrine, but assurance is something that comes as a result of learning a collection of doctrine. And that's why John teaches on various things. We sometimes think that assurance comes from one particular teaching. Isn't it? Sometimes if someone tells us they are struggling with assurance, we think of a doctrine, just one doctrine, and we tell them, okay, let me, let me tell you about God's grace. Yes, it's an important teaching. But we must learn from John that Christian assurance comes as a result of what I call a multi-doctrine exposure. A multi-doctrine exposure brings assurance. And by the way, that's why you need to be here when God's word is preached. That's why you need to be exposed to God's word. That's why you need to be here when we are, the word of God is being taught from uh, Romans, from Jonah, from 1 John, from 2 John, from Matthew, from Mark. That's how you will grow in assurance. It's not the, your favorite topics that will help you to grow in assurance. Because that's what we think. Oh, you know, I have this wonderful favorite topic. Topic. If I just hear about grace, my assurance grows. I don't see that in the Bible. Just like for you to grow uh, in, in, in your physical well-being, you need a balanced diet, isn't it? You don't just eat what you like and then think you will be healthy. The same with spiritually, you also need to be here. That's why you need to be here in the morning and you need to be here in the afternoon. Because I'm preaching from 1 John. Pastor Kevin is preaching from 2 John in the evening. That's how your assurance will be built. If we want to grow in assurance, or if you want someone to grow in assurance of faith, we must command them, just like John does, to know Christ, the person of Christ and his work. We must command believers to separate themselves from the world and from sin. Those are things covered in John, First John. We must command believers to love the saints. I mean, he makes it very clear. This, I can read first John. I like how John is, he is so sharp in his words. By this you will know that you love God, if you love the same. We see him talking about separation from the world. By this, you know that you are the children of God. You separate yourself from 
the things of the world from sin? Could it be that the reason that some of us are struggling with Christian assurance is that you don't love the saints? Could it be the reason why you're struggling with assurance is because you have not separated yourself from the world and from sin? Could it be the reason you are struggling with assurance? Because you're not interested in the things of Christ. When is the last time you read your Bible? When is the last time you are taught the doctrines of the Bible? This is how assurance comes. Assurance doesn't come by me as your pastor telling you, ah, it's okay, you are saved. Anyway, if you, you are a member of TBC. Being a member of TBC doesn't guarantee you eternal life. You can be a pastor and not have eternal life. You can do wonders and great things and not have eternal life. Eternal life comes by believing in Christ, being possessed by Christ, being owned by Christ, and that shows itself. That shows itself in how you love this. That show you, shows itself by how you obey the commandments of God. That shows itself by how you, you separate yourself from the world and from sin. That shows itself by how you conduct yourself. Dear brethren, we must receive the word of God. We are an obligation to receive the word of God. To the unbeliever, you're listening to me. The reason why you are not able to receive the truths that are in the scriptures is because the Bible describes the heart of a sinner as one that is like a rock. It is like a stone. It is dead. It cannot respond. Oh, if you cry to Christ, you cry to him to save you. If you believe in him, if you repent of your sin, the Bible says that he will remove that heart of stone and he will give you a heart of flesh that is then able to receive his word, that is then able to obey his commandments. And you will say like John, oh, his commandments are not burdensome. I love your law, O oh Lord. You will be able to separate yourself from the world and from sin. You will be able to love the saints in spite of their weaknesses. You will be able to grow in knowing this Christ. Repent and believe in him, and he will save you even today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this afternoon we thank you for the truth of your word we thank you that you have given us your word so that we may know you so that we may have eternal life for eternal life is to know you O lord god please help us to grow 
in our assurance by receiving your word. And where we have a challenge, O oh Lord, help us to pray. Help us to seek your face. Help us to repent of our sins where we need to repent. Help us, O oh Lord, that even in helping one another, that we would be direct and blunt with one another as John puts it. That those who practice sin do not belong to you. That no one can say that they love God and they hate their brethren. That no one can say that they love God and love the world and the things of the world and, 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 and the sin in the world. Oh Lord, help us. For we cannot do it. We need your spirit to work in your heart. Let your Holy Spirit help us to live in accordance to the truths of the scriptures. So be with us, O Lord, for we pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen.